oversaturated, overset, oversaturated, overset, oversaturated, podcast, 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 overset, oversaturated, overset, oversaturated, overset, oversaturated, overset, Welcome to another episode of Oversaturated, the podcast where we discuss music, movies, and pop culture. I am Johnny. And I'm Ralph. Welcome to special episode number nine. Uh, Nueva? Is that how you say it? That is. I just came, I just came back from Mexico. I'm stunned right now. <laughs> All right, man. Don't, don't rub that shit in. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so we have a very special guest with us today. Today we have Debbie L. London. Should I, should I say the L? Is it like Wheezy F baby? Please say the baby. I mean, yeah, it is. <laughs> okay. Everything is Debbie L. <laughs> <laughs> so Debbie is an author. Um, we were going over your website. Are you? We weren't sure. Are you like a therapist, psychiatrist? I I am not a therapist. Okay. My okay. background is mental health and. Okay. What happened was, I'm just <laughs> but no, I got my bachelor's in psychology and I have my master's in public administration and okay. I was actually going to become a licensed therapist. But as I was working on my master's for a professional counseling, I was like, this is not how I want to help people. So I switched it at the last minute. And my approach to helping people is more spirit led. And that kind of goes against a practice of professional counseling. All of my stuff is organic when I help people. And even in my books, I'm not doing it in a manner that is in alignment with what is taught professionally. And I wanted the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do. Nice. Yeah. So we wanted to make sure that we give respect to people's titles because we didn't want to be, no, we don't want to be disrespectful. No, I'm not a therapist. I mean, some people care and put MPA on the back, but I I could care less. My master's degree is doing nothing for me. I'm just just kidding. Hey, sometimes that's real because, uh, yeah, I don't want to get into it, but yeah, let's just say I feel it. It is a sore spot for our generation. It's a very, very sore spot. So I understand. That's real. That's real. Yes. All right. So, you want to get straight to off the dome? Off, off the dome. Now, uh, Debbie, this is our icebreaker. Like, okay. uh, this is our, our most popular segment. We like to ask, um, I like to ask Johnny questions, and I like to ask our guest questions that they're not prepared for. So you may not know what your answer is. So this is why we call it off the dome. I'll even go first. Now, when you watch movies, like you have a ten- there, there are tendencies to have like uh, tearjerker moments, right? Now, what's the weirdest movie you found yourself tearing up at? I think it's like North. Is it North or South Korean movies? The ones on Netflix. I think they're South Korean. Oh, so the international movies? Like, you find yourself? <laughs> no, 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 like, no, but it's like, no, it's a specific kind, like South Korean, and it's like they're always period pieces from like when they were warriors and all that stuff. Oh. Like, a certain warrior or someone would die, and I'd be like, oh, God, you know. Really? Yeah, <laughs> normally, I mean, but I'm a crybaby, so I'm not even that. I don't know if that's I a good question. Right. Yeah, like, I'm a but the strangest thing was probably one of my South Korean movies and somebody getting killed or something. Are they like martial arts movies? Are they like, are they? They're, they're like dramas. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you have to read the subtitles, of right, course. Right, right. But they're set back like in the 1600s. Ah, uh, okay. From like a long, like, it's like a long, long time ago. Gang, gang I don't know, I just think. Huh? Genghis Khan, she liked it. Well, that's China, though. Never mind. I'm sorry. Yeah, I got off topic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, don't mind me. It's really hard. Like, I haven't seen him in a while, but I know like one of them I was crying. I was like, why am I crying over this? This is stupid. But anyways. That's interesting. What, what so, you got, John? All right. So <laughs> the one movie that I can remember crying on, right? It's Titanic. The, the very first time I watched Titanic, I cried at the end because Jack died. Now, as an older person, <laughs> I realized that he had enough space to get on that damn thing, on that damn plank. 
whatever the hell it was. That door. That door. Yeah. <laughs> but when I when I watched it, I had to be like twelve or some shit. Like I was real young, but I I remember crying at that. It was sad. He froze to death and shit, holding her hand. That was sweet as hell. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you mentioned Titanic because I love disaster movies. I love where I see white people pay for their sins, and uh, uh, movies like that. Um, and the movie I'm going to use is Armageddon. Now I find it weird that I was Armageddon crying. was good. I remember. Yes, it's really good. But the part that got me was when Bruce Willis said bye to his daughter on the screen. I was like, yo, like I was watching a few weeks ago and I was like, yo, why am I fam? Like who's cutting the onions right now? Like it was like that was a powerful scene and I guess I never really understood it because now I'm older and you have that fear of losing parents. And I was like, damn, I can understand that now. Yeah. Wow. Tear. It's real, man. That's all I got. Don't judge me, fam. Hey, no judgment. <laughs> Listen, man, when you as you get older, this is something I'm starting to learn. But as I get older, I'm more in tune with my emotional side. So, so, you know, it is what it oh. is. <laughs> I'm glad that you guys have no problem showing your emotions. I'm glad that you're not trying to oh. act all hard. And we get you... a lot of shit for it, too. Yeah. Aw. I, 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 I appreciate it. They give us a lot of shit for it. Don't worry about it. We're here about the I show. appreciate right. black men who have no problem <laughs> showing their emotions. Because, you know, that's an issue in our culture. Nah, it wasn't oh, It wasn't I, always easy for me, but I feel like being married helped me helped me with that a little. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, okay. so, my off the dome before I start gotcha. turning up now. Uh, so, this is like, <laughs> this is like a remix to one of my older questions. Gotcha. Um, so, and I, I want to ask Debbie first. Okay. So, if you could see one person in concert, dead or alive, and they will perform all of your favorite songs from their catalog. Any person for one night only, who would it be? Oh man, Ralph knows my answer already. Oh yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't have to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> man, it's really hard. I'm a '90s R&B person, mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to. When I think of '90s R&B, it's not just one specific person it's a lot oh my god i don't okay i I don't know you can pick i don't know two two or three musical acts because i know maybe picking one is hard maybe two or three okay maxwell will be one um i like faith evans i do i like faith evans and angie stone I really, really like Angie Stone or Tamia. See, it's like it's a lot of them because I'm thinking about like my 90s playlist. It's a lot of them, but I'll say Maxwell, Faith Evans, Tamia, Scratch Angie Stone. All right, there we go. Okay. That's a nice line. Underdog. I like that. Underdog. Right. <clears throat> Ralph, who you got? Uh, I'll just wait for the fences because I'll, I'll dig up somebody that's dead. No disrespect when I say that. Um, no, no, I, no, I didn't want to come off like that. I know. <laughs> but um, I'll just say Whitney Houston and because I want to see, like, the Whitney that, you know, dazzled everybody with her voice. Like, I want to see that person. Like, and she doesn't have she doesn't have to have this big sound stage, this big, great performance. It's just Whitney and the mic. Give me that. That's dope. Can, can I ask a question? Since yeah, we're sure. talking about dead or alive, like, how did y'all feel about this four-day situation with Aretha Franklin and the outfit changes and the eight-and-a-half-hour funeral? Like, you you definitely rock with us because we do this sidebar stuff all the time. All like, the time. we get you off, we get off track all the time. <laughs> Me and my cousin call it. We go, every time we do it, my cousin starts doing like this. Are you going off on a tangent? You're going down the Ritchie Road. I'm like, I'm sorry. We do it to each other all the time. Yes, yes. Um, I'm indifferent. Like I'm, I, I'm indifferent. Honestly, like, do I think Aretha deserves that celebration? Yes. Do I think it's excessive? Yes. Hell, hell, excessive. Like, <laughs> listen, man. I know she she touched a lot of people in the music industry. You know, a lot of people respect her for what she did. Um, but man, eight hours. Come on, come on. Seriously. She should have. It should have been like an intimate ceremony with just her, with her family, maybe her closest friends in the music industry. 
That's it. It didn't need to be televised. None of that. The four outfit changes. Like, I'm like, y'all are picking this body up out of the casket and changing the clothes, <laughs> the makeup, the nails, the shit. I'm, and I'm a little bit morbid about stuff like stuff like that fascinates me. But even I was like. That's weird. Like, they, I don't know. I've never, even like Michael Jackson, like Whitney Houston, like they didn't even, it wasn't even that big of a deal for them. And I just thought like, wow, four whole days yeah, man. and outfit changes and eight and a half hours. That's a work day. Like that, no lunch, they didn't get no, no lunch snacks. break. Exactly. No lunch break. <laughs> they didn't get no food. No, nothing. Just sitting there the whole time. I was like, wow, could not have been me, honey. Listen, but that was it. When oversaturated blow up and we get global, don't have no funeral for me, bro. Like, don't have no eight hour <laughs> funeral for me. Don't do it. <laughs> we turning up. We doing the swag surf. All of that. But see, Litty. do that. No, do, I just do that swag at the, this weekend at my sister's wedding. At the repast after my body is at the cemetery. Don't do that shit during the funeral. <laughs> but, don't swag but, surf with me and I'm in the casket. But, don't do that. <laughs> I was about to say, don't do that. Me being your man's, I know you would appreciate the turn up at the funeral. True. True. All right. Two hours max. Two hours max. Gotcha, fam. Oh, all right. One more thing. The one thing that killed me the most, right, is mm-hmm. the one picture that I saw where they had her legs cocked up on the edge of the. Uh, yeah, with her with the with the red heels with her legs crossed. Like, all right. At some point, we doing way too much now. That's way too much. Why does she even I mean, have shoes on? They said she was a diva, and it was five inch. It was uh, red bottoms. And every time I've seen Aretha, this is no shade. No shade. Rest in peace. She always had on kitten heels. I was like, okay, but all right. But neither here nor there. Right, right. I'm glad. Oh, I saw a very funny meme. Last tangent on this. Uh, it was Aretha. She was doing this, and it said, "Bury me." <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I was like, "Please, but anyway, okay, go ahead." Y'all, all right. I saw, I read some funny today. I saw somebody Uh-oh. say, <laughs> "While we all playing, Lauren Hill just showed up to Aretha's funeral." Like stop, 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 stop. <laughs> I, I like that though. Because she's always like late. It's f- all right. Yes, yep. yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, right. Add a rim shot, bro. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We back. We back. Did I even answer the question? Uh, no. Uh, no. My, didn't. my answer is Mike. Uh, Ralph knows this, but my answer is Michael Jackson. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think all the listeners know that too. So. Yeah, pretty fast. Either right. that or Will Smith. So <laughs> I don't want to see Will Smith in concert. I mean, I, I would go, I would go, but that's not the one person I would choose I would, to see. Like, I, I like, I don't want to see Will really perform. Will Smith, yeah, getting that's jiggy it. with it. No, no, okay. That's his, well, it's okay. not. It's not just Will. Like he likes Fresh Prince. Will like it's not yeah, just like him. I like all. I like all of Will Smith's catalog. Like his whole catalog is like. I'm never it's listened good. to it. Oh. Okay. Willennium, check that album out. Shout out to episode three that I think that was. But anyway, all right, we we back, man. See, we do this all the time. We do this all the time. Y'all got on here with the wrong person. <laughs> we bringing it back. We bringing it back. Bringing really, it really back, back in. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. So but, let's let's talk to our guest now. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ralph. I was gonna say, like, just uh, looking over your bio, uh, I see that you are a proud product of a HBCU. Could you please expound on that for our audience? Um, what the HBCU experience? Uh, well, no, I, we're we're HBCU grads as well. We're actually um, from Alabama A and M. That's oh, who we okay. so uh, we see that you went to an HBCU. Can you just kind of describe that experience and how it's maybe prepared you for uh, being an author, being uh, going to grad school, doing those uh, types of things? How has it shaped your experience? Well, I mean, the friendships number one that I gained from college are everything like literally just at my line sister's wedding this weekend Mm -hmm. and we were all like dang we've been friends well over a decade (laughs) all because we met at Shaw University in Raleigh North Carolina and um I think 
as a black woman or black people in general, that foundation at an HBCU is unmatched. You can't get that at a PWI. Like we had access to things that we normally wouldn't have access to because we went to an HBCU. Like me and my line sisters had the best internships. Um, and it, it, it's almost like our HBCU was the plug a little bit on our behalf or for its student body, yeah. if that makes sense. And we know if we would have gone to a PWI, we would we would have been lost <clears throat> in a sea of other people. And our relationship with our professors was very close-knit. It's very family-like. Even now to this day, those relationships have carried over with my college classmates. And those are some of my strongest relationships. Some of my biggest supporters are from my school um, with my professors, uh, staff, faculty. It's a family. It's like your extended family. And it's something that it's hard to describe to another black person who may have went to a PWI for undergrad. Instead, it's like, dang, you missed the best <laughs> experience you could have possibly got. And then to, you know, the more superficial stuff. I mean, there's nothing like a halftime show at an HBCU. There's nothing like Greek life at an HBCU. There's nothing like parties at an HBCU. So it's, it's just that all around blackness. That's absolutely everything. And I would not have traded it in for the world because I felt more prepared and geared up once I transitioned to grad school. And I felt that I got everything that I needed culturally as well, which is super important. Facts. Like, I 100% agree, agree with everything you just said. Same same experience we had at Alabama and Um, So you grew up in Atlanta, right? Born and raised. Born and raised. So I guess what are your some, what are some of your favorite artists from Atlanta? Musical artists. Uh-huh favorites the new school stuff I really don't I don't even know anybody's names with the new school not a young um, thug fan not a young thug fan no the mumble <laughs> rap like I like Migos but I'm not again I'm a 90s girl so probably like your Kilo Ali I like um, do you, y'all know who Kilo Ali is I'm familiar. Not yeah. Deep into it. When I'm right. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Of course, Outcast. They're super important, and I like them. And I like music that transcends any um, time period. Like this mumble rap stuff, I feel like once this phase is over, it will be 100% over. And that's why I'm so, such a fan of the 90s. Like everybody likes the 90s stuff. But yeah, Outcast and Kilo Ali are. My absolute favorites. A couple of T.I. I mean, I like T.I. It just depends on what it is. She don't like T.I. versus Tip. She, <laughs> she just like T.I. It's just an old T.I. Trap music T.I. <laughs> but uh, let me ask you this. Um, what, where, where do you draw your passion from when it comes to uh, being an author? Man, the Lord. I had no intentions of ever being an author mm-hmm. like zero intentions and God told me when I was 18 like yo you're gonna write about all these experiences that you've had and I'm like no I'm not because I'm not an author and he was like alright that's cool <laughs> and so a decade goes by and he's like oh yeah remember when I told you he was gonna write about this and I'm like nah I'm still not gonna do it and then it wasn't until the fall of 2016 where he pinned me down and I had no choice but to write because I was working at a job and I was standing in the parking lot of that job and I called my sister and I was just crying. I was like, you know, I'm not, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And she was like, yeah, cause you're supposed to be writing. And I was like, but I'm not a writer. And I'm crying. I'm like, that's not, I'm supposed to be climbing the corporate ladder. And, you know, I had these little ideas in my head of where I wanted to be. And she was like, girl, get your notebook and carry it with you everywhere and just write. And that's what I did. And then, but I started in November and by March, I had my first book release, Residue. And the rest is history. And even when I released that first book, I still 
did not own or feel like an author. I was like, all right, God, get out my face. I did what you said. We done, right? And he was like, no, we're actually not done. This is what it's going to be. Aren't you excited? And I'm like, no, I'm not. But now I am. And I enjoy it and I love it because my, my sole purpose is to help people heal, specifically those in the African-American community, because we... There's so many layers to our issues specifically from our family stuff Agreed. to the slavery issues, the mentality that was has transferred from generation to generation from slavery, toxic mindsets and ideas like we were touching on earlier about um, being emotional and how that's frowned upon in our community. And you have to be a certain way. Boy, stop crying. You know, when they're little kids, I don't talk to my son like that. When my son cries, I'm like, it's okay, baby. You can cry. Like, I encourage that because I don't need him. Never mind. I'm going off on a tangent. Anyways. But that, but that <laughs> healing is necessary and it's so multi-layered. And in my first book, um, Residue Surviving and Overcoming the Stains of Generational Curses and Soul Ties, I kind of break down what I witnessed in my family from mental, verbal, sexual, emotional, and spiritual abuse and how a lot of us have seen that in some way, shape, or form, or we were affected by it directly or indirectly in our lives in some way. And I try to tie that in as best as I can by being transparent about my own experiences to let people know, A, you're not alone, B, you're not crazy, and C, there is something that you can do about this. You don't have to stay stuck in this mess. And I know black people, oh, we keep family business, family business. You know, we don't talk about this stuff. That's Mm -hmm. a problem. That is a problem. We need to be talking about these issues. We don't need to hide or never mind. No, no, no. We don't need to protect predators. (laughs) And that's another, that is a story who molest and abuse. Even, even if it's not the people that are abusing children, mm-hmm. be it sexually or um, in any other manner, but the people who are with domestic violence, I noticed that in our community, they will protect that perverted uncle, yeah. but and shame the victim. Like, oh, you shouldn't have been fast. Oh, what was you wearing? Oh, what was you doing? Like, are you kidding me? I'm sick of that. Yeah. And my goal is to undo and break those generational links and be a voice for the voiceless because in my family I was the black sheep for a while and because I had a voice I was made to be the black sheep because the other women in my family were docile but in seeing them more meek and mild-mannered and being run over by you know the patriarch of my family and uncles and things like that. I was like, oh no, not me. Even as a toddler baby, I was like, oh no, that's not right. And I just became very vocal about everything as a child. And to to be an attempt to be silenced by your own family members is so damaging. It, it is extremely damaging. Um, for example, I had some crazy stuff told to me. And it's so funny that we're talking about this. Uh, I was telling my cousin, we were having a long conversation last night just about our history and things like that. And um, just imagine being a young girl and, oh, you ain't, you ain't going to be nothing but a hoe anyway. And it's like, I'm 10. Wait, so somebody <laughs> actually said that to you when you were 10? Yes. Wow. Of an uncle of mine. Oh, oh, oh you're going to be fast. Oh, all you care about is boys. You're going to be a stripper. You <laughs> Like, what? Just trying to plant so many negative things in your mind to make you feel like you're inadequate and you're inferior. But by the grace of God, he gave me the mental fortitude to just bypass that stuff and never be silenced. And I know, um, A, I empathize strongly with the women in my family who have been abused but I know me being so vocal and opinionated and and strong-minded at a young age it kept me from enduring the same abuse I was affected indirectly Mm -hmm. by the abuse 
because I saw it. <laughs> it was traumatized. I'm like, but we can get into that later. I don't want to. <laughs> so let me let me ask you this: <clears throat> Where do you think your passion to help others came from? Or what fuel was oh. you to want to help others? Oh, my crazy family, <laughs> who I love. <laughs> but no, my, I mean everything. Um, I was just saying because there are so many people who don't who God created me to have mental snapback, meaning that whatever I go through, I'm able to get through the storm and then resilience, you know, completely takes over. And then I just bounce back. Everybody is not capable of doing so. And by me and my tagline is transforming with transparency. So by me sharing these experiences openly with others, it it provides sheds a light that you can heal too. And a lot of people don't feel like there is an out for them. They feel like, well, this is just what it is because we accept it as the norm for so long Mm -hmm. in their lives or seen as normal. My book, I mean, so many people have said, yes, I was reading your book. I always thought this was just a normal way of life. But after reading, I'm like, I've been surrounded by toxic stuff in my own family or in my friendships or whatever the case may be. And I didn't even realize. And these are things that I want to help others uproot. Abuse is not normal. It's not okay. Um, Victim shaming is not okay in any way. Um, Not giving people feeling like, oh, just pray about it. We don't we don't go to therapy. That is not okay. Right. You pray and go to therapy, but prayer solely, like that, and that's the that's thing not going to do anything. People always say, you know, pray about it. <clears throat> but there's a I think there's a passage somewhere that says prayer without works is dead, right? So Absolutely. it's like you have okay, pray, but you also have to do the work to make yeah. sure whatever it is you're praying for goes through, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just something I, f- I always found that was interesting. Right. And, uh, Debbie, I'm glad you mentioned your uh, tagline, Transforming with Transparency. How has that helped you uh, telling your story and had seen other people uh, gravitate towards it, uh, give you positive feedback from it, or even criticism? How has that, you know, helped you personally? Um, it, it lets me know that the platform I'm building isn't in vain, and it's a comfort. Like, at first, I was offended when I first started this mm-hmm. a year or so ago. And I'm like, dang, like, people don't show any love. But then they DM me. And I'm like, why are they being so secretive? But now I understand. The stuff I talk about is difficult for people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't want to associate <laughs> themselves with having stuff going on. Right. And so now I am like, okay. As long as they're getting what they need, I don't care. Because bros, like, it's okay. Let people know. Let me, but everybody's not going to be that open. I have some people that got my first book and still haven't read it because they said they're just not ready mm-hmm. to hold up the mirror to themselves in that way. And that's so real and it's so heavy <laughs> because when we talk, when we start talking about generational issues, like it goes so deep and it becomes mind blowing the things that we dismiss. But if we just step back and look at family patterns where there's alcoholism in the family, like, dang, it was my daddy. It was my, you know, granddad. It was my great, great granddad. This is what we do. No, it's not what you do. That's, that's an, that's a spirit that's being transferred that has to be actively broken you know, yes. in order for the cycle to stop. And a lot of people don't realize that. And they just say, well, this is just how I am. No, it's not. But that ties into why God is also at the forefront of everything that I do, because there is always going to be a spiritual explanation behind whatever is going on with somebody, whether it's individually or collectively as a family or as a group, as a community, whatever, there are spiritual things going on and at work as well. So I think people have to be more in tune with themselves in order to um, properly tackle the issues of life. And that's what I'm here to do. Help people do. It's beautiful. I love it. So so your, your second book Excuse me. Your second book is called Your Facade is Showing a Divorce, mm-hmm. a Divorcee's Perspective on Accepting Relationship Red Flags the First Time. 
Yeah. Beautiful title. So you you want to talk about the inspiration for that book? <laughs> My divorce was it? Y'all, uh, have y'all seen Brown Sugar? He planked on the. He was like, "My divorce." Okay. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that is what. It's so funny. Um, when I before I finished writing Residue, God was like, "Oh, write this down." He was like, "Write down your facade show," and I'm like, "Your facade show? What is that?" And he was like, "Don't worry about. it. We'll talk about it later." And a year later. When I found out my marriage was in, he's like, oh, remember when I had you write down your facade is showing? Surprise! You're going to do a relationship book. I'm like, I do not. That is one thing I don't <laughs> like. I do not like talking about relationships because I hate, like, those people that are always talking about relationship stuff and then they be single. I'm like, shut up. Um, but I, did, I was very <laughs> uncomfortable with writing this book, but I did it in such a way where there's full accountability for me and no way am I bashing my Mm ex-husband in this book. I'm more saying had I paid attention, everything, even the smallest minute details that caused me to raise my eyebrow in the beginning, I would have already known what was up because the way I started that relationship um, and the things I accepted in the beginning, subtle stuff, Nothing even disrespectful or seemingly, you know, okay in the beginning. It was the same. I got more of the same later. And so who can you really be mad at? So it's really about holding yourself accountable to making sure that you're vigilant in relationships and you're not so infatuated that you are like, oh, it's okay. All right. It'll get better. No, it's not. (laughs) Whatever there. My Angelo. When somebody shows you who they are, man, you got to believe them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to believe them. And that's really all it comes down to. And uh, yeah, I just share my experience from top to bottom on that. And I find myself where my, I, I use my book as a reference. Like you can't be telling people, you know, to pay attention to red flags. And even as I am back on the dating I can't even say I'm really back on the dating scene, but <laughs> as I navigate through this trash dating scene, like now I'm just more vigilant. Yeah. Okay. And, where, I, and I, where are you located? Like, where do you live? What city? Or I am in Dallas, Georgia. I live on the outskirts of Atlanta now. Okay. Okay. I'm mom. <laughs> nice. Okay. So, uh, fellas in Atlanta, uh, shoot your shot. Okay. Um, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, I'm joking. Well, I, had, I had a joke in return. But... Oh, don't. Uh oh. Fire back. Yes. Get him. Get him. Yeah, come on. Get him. Get him. To myself. Shit. <laughs> I love Atlanta. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it was an Atlanta joke. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> My headphones came out. I missed it. Web. <laughs> he was going to do an Atlanta joke. Never but mind. But then I decided not to. I don't want people to be like, oh, but everybody knows this is true. It's hard dating down here. It's very, very difficult, um, in my opinion, to date in Atlanta because it's changed. It's not what it used to be. And every, I try, I used to be a serious party girl mm-hmm. back in the day when I was young. But now like, I'm like, okay, we're going to go out. We're going to go do a day party. We're going to go do brunch. And it's just more of the same every single time. And it's exhausting. And one thing that, bothers me on the dating scene here like our ratio of women against men is crazy Mm. like it is way more women than it is men and it appears that it's way more men that don't want women and in no way does that matter but as far as dating it's like maybe we we're overpopulated we need to go somewhere else and again i don't care what anybody's sexuality is whatsoever Live your best life and do you. I'm in full support. But as far as dating, that yeah. kind of... I, I see how that could be rough for you. Yeah. Slim, slim pickings. Pretty oh, much. Yeah. So I remember I went to a day party. And it was a bunch of beautiful women and a bunch of gay men. And we were all like, oh, I guess. <laughs> I mean, we're all looking for the same thing. <laughs> Tra- tragi- tragedy. <laughs> oh, man. Well, let me ask. Let me, that moment, I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> going out in the city. Sidetrack again. <laughs> uh, Debbie, let, let me ask you this: uh, You being an author, if um, let's say somebody approached you to use one of your books for like a documentary or a, a film, would you be open to that? Absolutely. 
Because okay. some people wouldn't like their art to be exploited like that. Of course, you would want to have some level of creative as control. As long as I have, yeah, as long as I have that, especially with, well, both of my, any book I write is mm-hmm. going to be personal. It's going to be what I'm sharing about wherever I'm at in my journey at that particular time. So it would have to be almost identical to whatever I said in the book. So, yeah, as long as it's like that and it's not, I don't know, as long as it's authentic, I'm good with it. I I welcome that universe. Let's connect. That's funny. It's funny you asked. I actually just thought about that yesterday with uh, some little thing I'm doing. Uh, Ralph and I want a cameo. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll fly to Atlanta. It's nothing. Of course. <laughs> big, big <laughs> so, do you do you have any other books that are in the works right now? Um, I have not started writing my third one, but I know it's going to be a book about spirituality, and I know that book is going to ruffle some feathers. Um, I won't give the title out because I don't want nobody to take it. But yeah, it is going to be a book we tend to put God in a box. And I'm not a religious person at all. I'm about nurturing and fostering that relationship with God and being in tune with your spiritual self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like so much has gotten, I've had to unlearn everything that I learned growing up because mm-hmm. you know i grew up church every sunday mm-hmm. sunday school bible study yeah. you know but i was in a household of complete and utter chaos but yet we were doing the formalities we were going to church every sunday and then we come home to complete craziness and i'm like mm, it, it, a little shaky here but whatever and then the environment of churches just growing up it took uh, maybe up until six years ago for me to be like, wow, I don't think this is complete for me in my journey. I don't think this is where I want to be spiritually because my spirit was feeling stifled and, yes. and, and constricted. And I'm like, I can't grow. And it's, I like to say like some people are on baby food spiritually. Like I need, crab legs and a baked potato and all that so spiritually like my appetite is a <laughs> little bit like I'm hungry <laughs> I'm spiritually like get this baby food fire and brimstone you going to hell for every little thing get that out of my face I want nothing to do I would, tell me how to nurture my relationship with God and tap into my higher self yeah that's what I want to you know no and that's what I've been doing and I just noticed the difference in my life and I keep him first and absolutely everything and I always urge and encourage others to do the same. And he gave me the title of uh, the third book and all the experiences I've been having in the past few months, um, it's going to be key content for this third book. And I know it's really going to upset anyone who's religious because it's not an anti-religion book. It's just saying, like, I have a universalist view. If I wanted to slap a label on myself, I would say I'm more of a universalist. I feel like there's more than one way to get to him. There's no way. It's billions of us on this earth, man. Right. There can't just be one way. And if y'all disagree that, listen, I welcome the dialogue for it. But different languages, different backgrounds, different parts of the world, all the, there's no way there is only one way to get to this magnificent omniscient being right. impossible <laughs> you know impossible but I, I agree with that 100% even just looking at religion like there are so many different religions on the planet exactly. so why why does each religion think their religion is the proper way to get to the higher exactly. being that's something uh my wife and i discuss a lot just because you know it's just we quit we question it. it's just like you know I, I understand there are certain religions but why does one particular religion feel like they are the religion like I, well i mean it's 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 very strange to me and that goes back to me having to unlearn a bunch of things. You can ask God whatever you want to. And I don't know why in church they say, you can't question God. Shut up. 
You can ask him whatever you want, and he will answer and clarify for you in a way that you will receive it because he knows you, because he created you, so he's going to make sure to lay it all out. And even in me saying he, that's a preference that I say he, mm-hmm. because that's mm-hmm. a spiritual father. Some people feel like God is a woman, and do you? It is a spirit being whatever you connect with at the end of the day. As long as you're not doing anything evil, we are all, you know, reaching toward the same uh, energy. Big facts. And through these different religions, I feel like because we have all these different personalities, he has allowed us to create these channels, whatever may help somebody sleep at night to get to him. We're ultimately going in the same direction. It's just in a different way. And if you look at these religions, there's a lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's so much overlap. I went through a phase where I questioned, should I even believe in Jesus? Like, <clears throat> I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to go on this tangent real quick. Well, it's not really. It's on topic. But, like, as far as Christianity is concerned, like, you know, I have an issue with it because I'm black. And I'm like, mm, this is pretty much used to enslave my people. We weren't allowed to read or write, but here's this Bible, though. Mm, I, I don't know. It's just things like that that's just really, it doesn't sit well with me, and these are conversations I've had to have with God, and I and I straight up said, like, look, I need to know why I should believe in Jesus, or if I should, because I'm kind of, I'm teetering. Like, you know, I know there is a higher being than me, no doubt. That is so many things happen in my life that absolutely cannot be explained. I do not believe in coincidence. It is just God at work at all times. But even I only believe in Jesus because um, as I broke down in my first book about soul ties and the soul tie experience, um, I was having demonic attacks every single night. And the only thing that would make the demons flee was the name of Jesus. It was never God. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, the prayer. It was like an immediate, like being set free was calling on the name of Jesus. So there's power in the name of Jesus period. Wow. But that's so just my-, my personal experience because I had this, I had severe demonic attacks for years because of a soul tie. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and soul ties don't have to just play out in that way, by the way. Um, some people soul ties. I mean, they just manifest in different ways. Mine manifested as literal demonic attacks. But anyways. Wow. The point is, I have a I have a very open view to religion. And even even the things I believe personally. And somebody, well, God told me, blah, 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 blah. I feel like God meets us where we are. Mm-hmm. And yes. what he says to you, that's between you and him. But that doesn't make it law. For everybody else, and I think people get so stuck on, well, my way is right. No, you're right. No. He is leading them on their journey, and you got to respect that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not, I don't know. It's just one of these things where um, it is so complex. And even in the book, whenever he has me officially start writing it, it still won't cover anything because our finite minds can't wrap itself around, you know, the greatness that is... God, because he's just so intricate and multifaceted and strategic and everything that we can't even, it's just too much, but I'm going to try to, you know, break it down in the best way I can in my next book. Um, I also have before the end of the year, something cool I'm working on. I am big on affirmations. So I, my son and I, every morning before he gets on the bus, I do affirmations with my son. I pray with him. And then I have him say, like, I am a king. I am confident. You know, I am this, I am that, whatever, whatever, every single day. So he knows who he is. He knows he's loved, you know, that he loves himself, so forth and so on. So I have kids' books coming up. Nice. And it it will be in the likeness. I put a little preview. I think that was my very last post that I posted recently because I've been kind of under the rubble in these little projects I'm working on, but just a little preview of what uh, the character looks like in my son's likeness. And I'm very excited about my children's line of items, which will be a separate brand, but just totally about uplifting and planting positive seeds with our black children, because I think it's important 
to start them off early because representation matters. My yes. son yes. shows me time and time again how important representation is in everything. My son was had going through a phase, and he's an extremely intelligent child. He's only six years old. And I'm not saying that I'm not biased. Like my son is pretty smart. Even his dad and I are like, yo, like that has nothing to do with us. Mm-hmm. Like he's just he's been here before. He's so wise. It's like crazy sometimes. Like, why are you like this? Yes. It's scary. But anyhow, he was trying to spike his hair up for a while. And I'm like, baby, your hair is beautiful. So I made sure the you know character had the low Caesar cut and had his little cool parts. And when yeah. he saw that, when he saw the first drafts of his character, he's like, mommy, he's brown like me. Mommy, he has hair like mine. And I just start crying because I'm like, yeah. and that's what I want other little brown people to see you know when they look at these books like man me there's somebody that looks there there is something that looks like me so i have so much in store with this kids brand i'm so excited about it but it's all going to be about pouring into our children so those are the next two books i have that are in the works that's dope man we we like to get your take on something that recently happened because um Colin Kaepernick is somebody that definitely fights for, I would say, rights of children, not only just grown people, but a better future. So uh, Nike used, recently used his likeness. Or you can say he's one of the cover athletes for uh, their 30, 30th, 30, yeah, their 30th uh, campaign of the Just Do It uh, slogan. Now, it's interesting because he's one of the athletes, but he's the most polarizing right now. Yeah. And people are choosing to... Boycott Nike because right because of said <laughs> um, usage of his of his face. Now, what is your thoughts on that, Debbie? My thoughts are that we are living in a very divisive country at this time, and I just love and find it funny how certain groups don't see their prejudice and every little thing one minute is an issue of oh you're disrespecting the troops and da, 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 da. but then other people who have actually served are like well I fight overseas and people have died so people could protest in the manner that they see fit and do what they want. So the contradiction and the hypocrisy of it all just blows my mind, you know, with this administration and everything else. It's it's really mind-blowing. People who support that type of mentality is absolutely sickening to me. Um, And the stupidity of it all, too. Nike already got your money, boo-boo. You over here cutting up stuff that you bought, like, okay, and and so what? I thought it was a bold move for Nike to show what side they were on, um, which is, I mean, the more appropriate side, which is about equality. Kneeling isn't disrespectful to the anthem. I don't understand. I can't wrap my mind around why people go so hard. Certain people go so hard about this. Oh, it's disrespectful to blah, 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 blah. It's just like down here in the South. People in this Confederate flag, it's not, it's not anything, it's history. Um, well, to me, the Confederate flag's history represents my ancestors right. um, yeah. being tortured. So your history and my history are two different histories. But okay. <laughs> you know, and it's, you, you can't, you just cannot. The, the bigotry is very strong. With people yes. and going back yes. to generational issues, just how in our own community we have toxic issues that have to be broken that were derived yeah. um, from the mistreatment from centuries ago. The same applies in this situation. The bigotry is so heavily ingrained, and it's all they know. They can't even open their minds to seeing a different view or perspective. So, in terms of Colin, it's just. I respect Nike for what they've done. And they know that we are there. Black people have the most buying power. Everybody know that. So it's, yeah. Nike knows who backs them. Like, it would be, I don't know. I just thought it was very bold. And it was an important move for their 30th. Yeah. And 
I wish people would just understand why Colin was doing what he was doing in the first place. It was about police brutality and acknowledging that there needs to be a shift and changes about how police handle our people. And it is specifically our people because you see videos where people of other backgrounds can spit in a cop's face and be arrested and taken yeah. into custody, whole and breathing. You know, they reaching in their pocket or they just breathing and getting killed. You get what I'm saying? Oh, he was resisting. Oh my God, I was afraid for my life. Like, people don't understand this is a real issue in our community. Nobody's making it up. And Colin yes. was simply bringing attention to the fact that the scales are not balanced mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form, and there is something that needs to be done. So I just hate the hypocrisy of, don't disrespect the flag and the anthem, but yeah. what does the amendment say? Like, you have the right to free speech, speech. and the freedom to process. So it's like, yeah. go fuck yourself. I'm so sick of all of this. I'm sick <laughs> of the administration. I'm sick of everything. I'm not even a political person in any way. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just not, but my God, I have never seen this level of chaos in our country and just yes. how people, and with, with, I'm not saying his name, but with, you know, old boy getting elected or whatever, like people are like, yes, let me let my bigotry just show that finally all I can breathe. <laughs> you know, that's what it feels like people are doing now. And it is, on a tangent, it amazes me how people still defend and support this person to the death. And it's like, are you kidding me? How? 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 It makes zero sense. I really don't know. I, None. I can't think. None at all. Oh, he's amazing. He's he's done so much. Oh my! What? <laughs> exactly. I'm but no. Watch the news. But go ahead. Exactly. But no. With my my take on the whole situation, like uh, I actually commend Nike for using Colin. Uh, he's actually been on the contract with them for a few years. Um, do I give Nike a complete cookie for it? No. Like, because still the object is to make money. I'm not that guy. But I just kind of see it for what it is. Um, a lot of black athletes do sell products for Nike. Mm-hmm. So they should they should be on the right side of this. Right. Now, I'm not saying that a billion-dollar corporation is bigger than the people, but this is Nike we're talking about, too. Um, I don't feel like this is going to put a dent in their pockets. I'm pretty sure they, you know, went over everything that could happen as far as, like, money being lost. And all these shoe burnings and sock clippings and stuff like that. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something right now. No, I'm, I'm going to say this. Of all the Nikes I've been, you know, seeing burnt, I would have burnt them shits too. <laughs> I haven't seen, I haven't seen not one pair of Jordans. Those, one pair the of Max, the, like the dad Nikes. Exactly. <laughs> the Air Max. I haven't seen any, uh, any of the stylish Nikes, the Kyries, the KDs, the Kobe's. None of those expensive shits. So... Nice. Until until I see those, maybe I'm like, oh, you're still stupid, but okay. And why not give it to a homeless vet? But I'm off of that. Right. Um, yeah, since you I'm, care yeah, so much. Yeah, yeah right. since, since you care so much. But it, it's it's just a, a interesting situation all the way around. I'm happy for Colin, and they're using the money for that to um, funnel into his uh, charity. So I think that's even an uh, even doper situation. But I'm not, you know, like, oh, okay, Nike, that's cool. You know <laughs> you know what the ultimate troll is, though? What's that? Nike, I believe, has a contract it's with the, the NFL. They did the deal with the NFL. Yeah, they yeah, just knew to do their on. jerseys. So the NFL is paying Nike for them to pay Colin. <laughs> that's like the ultimate troll to me. I, I love it. It's it's amazing. So that's that's all I really got on that. It's white people gonna white people, basically. That's that's really all it is, to be honest. I I really got nothing. It's it's just it's frustrating to the point where I just don't even want to be bothered with it anymore. Like I'm just I'm sick of it all, to be honest. It's just stupid. Like the 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 ignorance, the stupidity of it all is just really has really burnt me out. And I'm just really like I'm just tired tired of it facts yeah so yeah that's that's all i got yeah so, um 
So, Debbie, let all of the listeners know where they can follow you on social media and where they can purchase your books. Well, you can learn more about me and my blogs. I also have a writer's workshop coming out for aspiring authors where I'm going to break down and show you how to do everything from start to finish so you can self-publish yourself and get your story told. And also, because I'm the DIY queen, I can show you how to do everything yourself without paying someone else. But you have to pay me, of course, for this information. But neither here nor there. All of that is on my website, DebbieLLondon.com, D-E-B-B-I-E-L-L-O-N-D-O-N.com. And I have a lot of free goodies and cool resources and tools. And also my books are on my website. Um, IG is my more favorite platform. It is at what Debbie L London. I keep it all simple. Nice. So yeah. it's Facebook at Debbie L London. Yeah. We love it. And listeners, you already know where to find us, but, uh, John, did you have anything else? So I want to ask her about the writer's workshop. Is that only an Atlanta thing? Is there a way that people it can is do it virtual. That's, that's what is, I'm talking about. It is going to be virtual. I will have it out by October. Um, and that's, I've been quiet lately. It's been like a few weeks of me just not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And it's because I'm combing through this work. It's two separate workshops. One for doing your cover, your interior design and other things to get your book out there and publish. And the other, um, the first workshop is really taking you um, through the writing process and helping you get unstuck specifically it can work for any writer but i w- would say a nonfiction author okay. Okay. um this workshop will be best for but i'm just trim the fat and get straight to the meat so you can get what you need tell your story and stop saying well i know i'm supposed to write a book well i've been writing this book for 10 years if you don't hurry up and get that book out and help the people use themselves, self <laughs> and that's what this workshop is going to help you do and i'm very very excited it's called titling your testimony okay Dope. and it's a workshop for aspiring authors so i'm very excited about that and i'll have that rolled out in a few weeks and it's virtual and it come it will come with a video and a PDF recap and planner. So oh. awesome. That's all I had. You got some rough? <laughs> oh no, no, we good, baby. Okay, cool. Debbie, <laughs> we thank you so much thank for being you. oversaturated. Um, you are awesome and I hope we can like have you back for like a regular topic one day because you are great to of talk course. to. Yes. Uh, whatever you want. Whatever you want, I will avail myself to you guys. You're awesome. Like I told you, I love real and authentic podcasts. It makes my heart happy. And so just thank you for allowing me to be on your show. I've enjoyed you both so very much. Definitely. Definitely appreciate it. All right. That's special uh, special episode number nine. And we out. Uh, we out. Peace. Bye.